0: Hey guys, and welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitian's Podcast. Thank you for joining us for what is now episode number 127. And we're going to kickstart this Q&A with question number one, which is, what are some essential supplements to take? For example, fish oil.
1: All right. So when we're considering nutrients that are essential for human health, We need to understand that if we can't get these through our dietary pattern or our lifestyle habits as well, because remember, there is this special nutrient called vitamin D that you only get about 10% of it from the diet, and yet the other 90% or more from the sun. So if you can't get it from your environment or from your diet, then a nutrient is considered essential. But if you can get your essential nutrients, from the environment or from your diet, then it is not essential that you take them in pill form.
0: Mm. So I think that's one definition of an essential nutrient, but the other definition is a nutrient that your body can't produce enough of or an adequate quantity of. So Mm -hmm. it might produce some of that nutrient, let's say 25% of your requirements, but then you need to get the rest of that nutrient through either food or supplement form or the environment, as you said.
1: Yeah. So a good example of that would be essential amino acids.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So some amino acids we, we don't, our body can't produce at all. Some of them we do produce partial amounts of, Mm -hmm. Uh, for example, like transamination, which is basically the conversion of some amino acids to other types, which is quite a complicated process. It's very
1: complicated. <laughs> Google that and look at yourself a biochemistry diagram. <laughs>
0: yeah, it is. Man, that brings back memories. But something that I wanted to touch on today is is kind of that initial point you made in that uh, a nutrient becomes essential when we don't have an adequate amount through the diet. And that could be because we don't Necessarily have great dietary patterns. So for example, someone who is an omnivore, so they consume plant matter and meat and animal products Mm -hmm. yet For example, they're iron deficient. That would be an example to me that potentially they don't eat enough red meat and I do feel like someone should Take the food first approach where mm. possible unless it's a massive inconvenience or unless they have dietary preferences or ethical considerations uh, before they go to the supplement route
1: yeah couldn't agree more with that so the food first approach and identifying okay which nutrients am I deficient in? Mm. And the best way to actually objectively identify that would be getting a blood test done, a very comprehensive one, particularly if it's a nutrient like iron and you could test your ferritin levels. Otherwise, doing a detailed dietary recall with a qualified dietitian, so that hopefully they can help you identify hey, what's the likelihood that you're actually meeting your essential nutrient requirements Mm. for these particular nutrients, like iron, omega-3, calcium, Mm. you name it.
0: Yeah, and for people like us who are dieticians and we have experience doing a lot of dietary recalls, if we do a dietary recall and someone's not supplementing with anything, but they're an omnivore, but for some reason they're not consuming any dairy products, it's a fairly safe assumption that they're going to be somewhat deficient in calcium and Mm -hmm. potentially some other nutrients related to dairy like vitamin b12 and something that i i will admit i've changed my mind on recently or within the last few years since studying dietetics is i think i can safely say that in the past we were much more adamant about not taking supplements Mm -hmm. but now it's kind of like the pot calling the kettle black because I do supplement with quite a few nutrients. Mm-hmm. You don't as much, but I definitely do.
1: But there's good reason for it. You're not, yeah, yeah. You're not just popping pills at random. Yeah. Like there's a good reason behind it.
0: Mm. So, like I'm taking some strategic nutrients to try and increase my natural production of testosterone. It's kind of like more of a case study I'm doing on myself, which I've made uh, a few YouTube videos on now and stuff. And that kind of brings me to another point, which is there's a difference between having like not being deficient in a nutrient versus having an optimal level of Mm -hmm. that nutrient. So just because on a blood test, and this is, it's not a drawback of blood tests. It just kind of complicates the, or muddies the waters slightly and makes it more complicated Mm -hmm. is that just because you... Uh, not coming up as zinc deficient on your blood test doesn't mean you have an optimal amount to support all your functions. For example, testosterone production, which Mm -hmm. is why I'm supplementing with like zinc and magnesium and vitamin D and uh, something else as well, Mm -hmm. which I haven't mentioned yet. Yeah,
1: and if you guys wanna see that all documented in video format, make sure to head over to the Bodybuilding Dietitian's YouTube where Jack is documenting his journey through... Increasing natural testosterone levels. (laughs) Mm. But to get back to the question, so once you've had a blood test, once you've done a dietary recall with a qualified dietitian, and they might identify a few things that you could potentially be deficient in or nearing deficiency, things that you might want to increase. And unfortunately, you just can't get those nutrients either from your diet for particular reasons. Perhaps you have allergies or intolerances. Perhaps you don't like that food Mm. or perhaps you have specific dietary requirements and choices for ethical reasons Mm. like you choose to be a vegetarian or a vegan so jack what are some of our most commonly recommended supplements when it comes to that point for some individuals
0: yeah so i think what i'll start off by saying is that i think a multivitamin is often people's first choice Mm. but I I, we don't encourage that if you do want to supplement with something because one there's a lot of competition for nutrient absorption between the different vitamins and minerals incorporated in that and also they don't always dose things effectively in order to get most bang for your buck they just want to list as many things as they can on the back of that little bottle just to promote the marketing value of it (laughs) so if you are going to supplement with something you got to be particular about when you supplement. So what you're, what else you're supplementing it with, but also what you're consuming it with as well in terms of food.
1: I think that's such an important point that you raise because a lot of people do look to multivitamins as an insurance policy, right? Mm. Like just in case I'm not getting this nutrient, but unfortunately it doesn't always work in your favor. Because like you said, they'll try to fit as many things into that one little pill as they possibly can, which is an issue in itself. Because if you actually take a multivitamin pill out of a packet and you put it onto the scale, what would that thing weigh? Would it even weigh a gram? (laughs) I'm not even sure if it would weigh a gram, but. But think of certain nutrients where our requirements are up near the 1000 milligrams for something like calcium. I believe the daily requirements of calcium are around 900 to 1000 milligrams per day. That's nearing on a gram in itself. So if one of the 20 ingredients in your multivitamin is calcium, that begs the question, <laughs> is that even getting you close to your recommended daily intake? And also like you said there's a lot of nutrients in there that are probably going to compete for absorption so it's kind of redundant if you put zinc and magnesium and calcium and iron all in the same pill sure that's great but you aren't exactly what you eat you are what you digest and you absorb so yeah. it's important to be strategic yeah it's important to be strategic so yeah multivitamins definitely not our first protocol.
0: yeah so Okay, to get back to Tierra's original question. So which ones do we commonly see as needing to be supplemented? So we do work with a bunch of uh, vegetarians and vegans. And because they don't either consume dairy products or animal products or meat, etc. We often see the vitamins and minerals most associated with those food choices. So for example, calcium, vitamin B12, iron and zinc are the, the four ones that come to mind for me.
1: Yeah, I think those are the biggest ticket items, that and omega-3 fatty acids. And unfortunately, if you are following more of a plant-based diet, trying to get an adequate amount of omega-3s from things like hemp seeds, walnuts, chia seeds, flax seeds alone, Mm -hmm. it's just not quite enough. Because although those foods do have omega-3 in them, it's in the form of ALA, and You need to convert ALA into EPA and DHA in the body, which isn't exactly the most efficient process. And ultimately, you can probably consume all the ALA for your life. But Mm. it's really tough for the body to actually adequately convert that. (laughs) It's like
0: eating extra protein in order to store that as glycogen Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) you then have to the protein has to undergo gluconeogenesis to then be converted to glucose and then (laughs) glycogen
1: exactly so you should probably just eat a little bit more rice rather than eating a bunch of chicken because (laughs) that all that chicken is basically just very expensive rice for the Mm. body
0: Hey guys, just a reminder that we offer coaching services, which you can find on our website by searching the bodybuilding dietitians on Google or via the show notes below. We coach anyone with a health and fitness related goal.
1: But that's the thing on vegan and vegetarian diets, particularly, or if someone's just not consuming enough oily fish, then recommending something like an algae oil supplement or a good quality fish oil supplement Mm. to get enough EPA or DHA. And The daily recommendation is anywhere between like 250 to 500 milligrams of combined EPA plus DHA Mm. per day, which pretty darn tough to get just through food, especially if it's just through plants.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a good example of one for us where we take that out of convenience. Like Mm -hmm. we could have, I mean, you then have to go into the argument of like farmed fish, technically farmed fish doesn't have the same polyunsaturated fatty acid profile as fresh Mm -hmm. fish. But basically, that's an example of we could get all of our omega-3 through seafood if we Mm -hmm. wanted to. But the convenience of taking a fish oil capsule outweighs that significantly. And it's cheaper as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's pretty much guaranteed if you are taking algae oil or a high-quality fish oil supplement to get just that nutrient alone. But Mm. even with canned fish, it's a bit up in the air. Because I've even noticed with my canned sardines, they're all just... Blanket labeled on the back, the exact same macros. But we have to remember that there's probably a 20% discrepancy there, and Mm. perhaps even higher because sometimes I'll crack open a can of sardines and it will be really oily. And I'll be like, man, this is full of omega 3s. And I'll I'll lick the lid of the can. Delicious, right? (laughs) But then I'll open up another can and I'm like, yo, this is pathetic. And it's just like, Seawater, Mm. So I'm like, where are the omega-3s at? So some fish are more oily than others. So obviously the environment is highly going to dictate that too. So anyway, that's that for omega-3, but it's still, omega-3 is an essential nutrient. So ultimately you might want to supplement with that. Or if you can consume two serves of oily fish per week minimum, and preferably from wild caught fish, which... These days, a lot of our fish is farmed, particularly in Australia. If you live in North America, it's usually a different story. Like you can get wild caught salmon and things like that. But yeah, omega-3 for sure. And vitamin D is just a huge one. Cause like I said at the beginning, we get the majority of our vitamin D from being out in the sun. And even here in Australia, you need at least 10 to 20 minutes per day of sunscreen-free, adequate sunlight exposure to the majority of your skin like it's not enough to just go out in the sun and just put your cheeks up in the air or put your hands out in the sun or something like that like you need to expose a good amount of skin and even then sometimes conversion can be very poor like in your case
0: yeah so I walk to the gym to and from that takes up about half an hour plus all the other times I'm in the sun which is not that much to be honest but Like I might even wear a singlet to and from the gym and yet I was still slightly vitamin D deficient. And like I do consume some decent sources of vitamin D. There's no such thing as a decent source of vitamin (laughs) D, but I'm doing the best that I can. And yet I was, I even consumed vitamin D enriched eggs, which technically contained three times the recommended daily amount of vitamin d and yet i was still deficient and that was probably more related to my dietary fiber intake Mm -hmm. Uh, but it goes to show that you can be slightly deficient in something and have no idea about it Mm -hmm. and that kind of again correlates to the optimal versus just being okay
1: yeah and vitamin d is so important for all of our hormones our mm. cardiovascular health our cognition bone health bone health as well even muscular functions so vitamin d is almost one of those ones i would argue perhaps even supplement with vitamin d as an insurance policy because vitamin d toxicity like you have to put in an immense amount of Effort to actually have vitamin D toxicity. I think they've done studies where they can go up to forty thousand IU's per day for like a chronic time span, and even those people don't suffer from toxicity. Mm. And generally, if you get a vitamin D supplement, which highly recommend you get vitamin D three fortified with calcium, just because. They both help the absorption of one another even though supplements are in 1000 IU's. yeah so taking anything i take about
0: 5000 at the moment
1: yeah and that's a totally safe amount mm. so yeah vitamin d otherwise
0: i, I wouldn't take it
1: yeah so <laughs> top ones yeah so things like vitamin d vitamin b12 iron if you can't get it through your diet and ultimately the best source of iron is red meat and you need to consume it quite a few times per week and omega-3 calcium zinc the whole shebang and i think the very last one that we should probably just briefly mention would actually be creatine and as an omnivore you can get creatine from animal products particularly meat but in order to actually consume an adequate amount of creatine, like close to that three to five grams per day, you've got to consume kilograms of meat. And even then it's questionable, are you even going to actually be able to absorb that creatine because creatine is actually heat sensitive. So I would almost argue as well that creatine should almost be considered an essential nutrient for people to supplement with because it has not just for athletes for anyone is particularly vegans and vegetarians because they're not getting it through the diet at all but creatine it's not just for athletic performance it's not just for muscular health and and power and endurance but it has remarkable benefits for our cognition too so i generally recommend that Everyone supplements with at least three to five grams of creatine monohydrate every single day. With creatine monohydrate, it doesn't matter what time of the day that you take it. It just matters that you do take it and you don't have to take it just on training days legit every single day, three to five grams, get it in and you don't have to cycle it. It's not going to make you lose your hair. <laughs> and it's also not going to cause copious amounts of water retention or bloating either. So. Very safe, very effective, and probably a smart move to supplement with some creatine.
0: Yeah, I highly agree, for sure. Mm -hmm. I've been on it every day since 2012, I think. Yeah.
1: and I've still got all my hair. You got me on it in 2016.
0: Yeah.
1: Awesome. Been making gains since, brain gains and muscle gains.
0: Cool. So this next question says, how do you track packaged whole foods that have the macros listed? For example, rice nuts and seeds
1: this is a really good question because unfortunately if you look at two packets of the exact same food and it's a single ingredient food so for example let's take oats and you look at per hundred grams those two packets of oats could perhaps have a different values for calories for carbohydrates protein fat and fiber and you're like uh they're both just 100 percent oats Mm. (laughs) which one am i supposed to pick might as well pick the lower calorie one, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> if you're being sneaky, yeah. And Because
1: the packet said so.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's quite an interesting topic because I think, to be fair, we are... I would say we have an enthusiasm for tracking. Mm-hmm. Like, we are interested in the mechanisms behind tracking. We know the little MyFitnessPal hacks. Uh, we like high tracking accuracy mm-hmm. for certain clients that we have, like our comp prep competitors. Uh, compared to a lot of other coaches out there and a lot of other dietitians might or coaches as well or nutritionists might say it doesn't really matter because there's going to be so much variation regardless so trying to make an effort to have greater accuracy is is going to be fairly redundant because there is going to be that 25% plus or minus for pretty much every food product in terms of accuracy so let's say you are um, the reason why there is that difference in the back of the packet is because there's that variation in accuracy with mm-hmm. these testing methods. Yeah,
1: but I personally, I don't like that attitude because <laughs> I think if you're gonna do something, you do it right. And if you're gonna put in the effort, you might as well not do it half-ass and go to the best of your ability.
0: Mm. No, I, I, I'm with you. Like I'm just as nuanced with you when it comes to tracking, so.
1: Yeah, so when it comes to that, guys, For example, if you were buying a food that was in a packet, let's say some strawberries and you were buying them in a packet from the frozen section at the supermarket, and it said a particular amount of macros on the back of those strawberries compared to if you were to buy some fresh strawberries from the market, which didn't have a listed macro packet on them, but you looked up a nut tab entry for those strawberries. And it's like, Hey, what the heck? These two entries are different. Nut tab says that these fresh strawberries have half as many carbs as the frozen strawberries. Hey guys, just a reminder that we post regular informative content on both our Instagram and YouTube channel. So make sure to go over to those platforms and search the bodybuilding dietitians. See you there.
0: Yeah, so basically, what NutTab is for those of you who don't know, it's it's essentially micronutrient and macronutrient d- data derived from the australian food composition database and that used to be called nuttab it's no longer called nuttab anymore which does make it a bit more difficult or will make it more difficult in the future to find these certain foods because there's a huge amount of nuttab entries on my fitness Pal which won't go anywhere fortunately but as that nutrient database is updated uh, on something called Vizans, uh then those entries on MyFitnessPal will need to be changed. Even if, like it might only be a gram or two difference in terms of protein and your micronutrients. Well, not a gram for micronutrients, but you know what I mean. But uh, then
1: we need to question, because if NutTab is used for all of our fresh fruits and vegetables and our meats and our seeds and our grains, all of these single ingredient foods, then even in the years to come, are our apples going to have more or less carbs?
0: <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of like a rabbit hole where if you keep digging, the it's I don't know. It's harder to get out. <laughs> but essentially, what we're trying to say is, you're, the best thing to do is really if you're having like long grain white rice, like there's not going to be much difference between which brands you buy in what, depending on what, even in which country you're in. So if you're in Australia. The Riviana or the Batoli brand of white rice isn't going to be different compared to the Woolies, mm. and even if it is, it might be one gram difference, which is not going to make much a <laughs> difference in the yeah. scheme of things. You're
1: literally splitting grains of rice there. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, I w- we would recommend using just one entry method on MyFitnessPal and basing everything off that in the future. Mm-hmm. So whether that be a nut Tab entry and if there's not a nuttab entry for that thing you can go to the Fasan's website and just type in Australian nutrient composition database or I just type in or google Fasan's food works uh-huh. it brings it up and then I type in okay I'm eating some long grain white rice type that in bring up the raw entry for that and compare it to what I buy in the supermarket and Yes, this is very long-winded. It's very meticulous. It's unnecessary for most people, but there definitely are some people who enjoy having that level of accuracy because it's a hobby.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that just pretty much goes for all single ingredient foods and even foods like the example that I gave with the fresh versus the frozen strawberries, you guys can do this own little trick yourself. You can buy a fruit fresh and you can put on the scale and you can weigh it and be like okay cool that's 123 grams then chop it up put it in the freezer freeze that thing once it's frozen take it back out put it back on the scale what do you know it's 123 grams so generally fresh and frozen fruit and just vegetables and everything in general they're always going to be the same weight unless there's some reason there for why the hydration component has changed Mm. so for example like If you washed your strawberries and you got a bunch of water on them and then you froze it, it might be a few grams heavier, but guys, we're talking about strawberries here. Or if something happened like your green beans defrosted or who knows, but generally fresh and frozen fruit and veg, they're always going to weigh the same. So I would just always use nut tab entries for both. And I think nut tabs always going to be more reliable than just random entries on uh, the back of a lot of packets, unfortunately. Mm.
0: Yep. Cool, so this next question says, my goal is gaining, I'm doing 15,000 steps per day, I'm not seeing results and I'm overall tired. Should I increase my energy intake or reduce my output?
1: So when people ask questions like this, and I think when you either vocalize it or you might type it in TBD's question box, I think just actually putting that out there, you've kind of answered your own question. What do mm. you think?
0: Yeah, we, we do get a lot of questions like this, and it's always good to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Like I always say to everyone, including my clients, there's no such thing as a silly question. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm
1: definitely not saying it's silly, but sometimes, like when we take it out of our head and we actually either write it down on paper or say it out loud, it's almost like, oh, if, if you even have to ask, you kind of know.
0: Mm yeah that's the case for many questions and i will admit though for this one that it it could be very 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 multifaceted oh, like yeah. It's not just dependent on the amount of steps you're doing. Like, for example, this question asker, he he could be a bricklayer by trade. And we wouldn't know that based on the information that we have.
1: Sorry mate, can't go to work today. (laughs) Gotta keep those steps down. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Like if it's part of your lifestyle, or for example, like you work in a hospital and you're a nurse and it's not like, oh, I'm not going to attend to that patient because I'm already reached my step target. So, you know, Mm. they can have a heart attack or someone else can look after them.
0: Yeah, and I wanted to go on a little bit more of a tangent with this question and in saying that it's kind of an outdated way of thinking, kind of like less sleep is better because if you're sleeping less, it means that you're working harder because you're not sleeping. And it's, I think a lot of people have the same attitude in training is that they need to feel trashed all the time. Like if they don't feel trashed, it is an indication that they're not doing enough work, if that makes sense. So when we want to maximize your training performance, we need to be going into that session fresh and like feeling very motivated to train no niggles n- no fatigue from the previous session of that muscle group and when you are experiencing fatigue like that or if you aren't motivated or stuff like that then potentially there's something wrong and in this case it could be the steps it could be that your training volume is too high it could be that you need to increase your energy and imp- intake It could be you need to do all those things at once. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I'm under the exact same lines as you. I think it's multifaceted and Mm. we just need to know more about the person for sure. But I would say that if your energy intake is at a good amount and your training's pretty under control, but you feel as though you're just walking 15,000 steps per day just because you're like, oh, this was my target in the past and this is what I feel like I'm obliged to hit. Although like usually within your daily habits, you only reach like eight to 10 K, but those extra five K you're like dragging your feet and forcing yourself to just go out for walks for the sake of it or pace up and down the house. Then that could be an alternative to be like, Hey, just cut out that energy expenditure side of the equation Mm. for sure. But ultimately sometimes when you're lacking energy, it is a sign that you do need more food. Or if your training isn't progressing, then yeah, you do need to have a really good look at that. And it might not even be the amount of volume that you're performing. You could even be performing not enough volume, for example. Mm -hmm. It could just be the training program you're doing in general.
0: Yeah, totally. As we said, it's very multifaceted. It's Mm -hmm. like someone coming to us saying, oh, why am I not losing weight? Could be a tracking accuracy could be that you're just genuinely eating too much food it could be because your energy expenditure isn't high enough so again it's very multifaceted
1: Mm -hmm. all right well do we have any more questions
0: yeah we'll end on a quick one unless (laughs) tiara gives us a monologue on sardines but how do you eat (laughs) sardines slash prepare them with a meal to taste good
1: i think this is going to be a quick little answer (laughs) because honestly i wouldn't know (laughs) the only way i've ever eaten sardines is just cracking open a can and enjoying those things with a fork or a spoon
0: mm. yeah yeah i've i've never been a sardine idiot, eater i think i've maybe went through one phase where i used to have them on toast with some butter and mm-hmm. you just layer some sardines on top add some cracked pepper can add some avocado to that as well
1: well there you go that's how you can perhaps make sardines taste mm. good have
0: some balsamic glaze on top as well that's mm. My mouth is watering as we speak.
1: Nah, oh, man. But honestly, <laughs> just cracking open a fresh can, whether or not you're on the bus or oh, <laughs> you've <God>. just gotten <laughs> out of plane on the plane,
0: all that recycle there.
1: I've eaten sardines on top of a sand dune on a plane, going to Hawaii on a bus coming back from the hospital, going to the gym late at night. I've eaten them coming out of practice at uni, you and name I've been, it.
0: unfortunately sitting next to her most of those occasions. <laughs>
1: Anyway, to finish this podcast, Jack, one thing that you learned this week?
0: So I learned that um, and reinforced the notion that it is possible to make do with a home workout and have a decent workout. Mm. Uh, I had a great workout this morning. I think a lot of it is about your attitude and how you head into that workout. And often we can put working out from home on prolong it because we're not particularly motivated or we don't think it's going to be that great, but If we follow a few little tactics to make the most of that home workout, it really does pay off. And that kind of segues into a video that we're uploading tonight, uh, which is all about making the most of your home workout so that you can still, at the very least, maintain your current muscularity. But I'm willing to bet you that most people, most people do have a couple dumbbells and stuff like that, or some resistance bands, you can still gain muscle. And it's just about how you structure that workout to make it difficult enough.
1: Yeah. I'm along the exact same lines as you. I think that this week it's definitely been a humble reminder of different methods that you can use in order to just increase the difficulty of an exercise when the equipment is limited and the total amount of weight that you have is limited Mm. and Man, don't underestimate home workouts. Like They hit differently.
0: They do, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Much more uh, metabolite accumulation, I guess, because Mm -hmm. potentially you're doing higher reps, good pumps because of that as well, and it works that cardiovascular aspect.
1: Yeah, but I think, honestly, it's almost a blessing in disguise too, because once we get back in the gym, ASAP, let's hope, we can actually continue to carry some of these things on. It's just really about how you're executing the movement, obviously incorporating just like slowing down the eccentric, incorporating a few pauses, all of these little things. I think we're really gonna be able to continue to apply this into our training. So kind of learned that it's a bit of a blessing in disguise.
0: And what did you learn?
1: That's what I learned.
0: Oh, great. Well, that wraps up the episode then. (laughs) That
1: sure diddly does. (laughs) If you guys enjoyed this podcast, please remember to take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag Jack, tag myself, tag the Bodybuilding
0: Dietitians, and we'll catch you next week. See you guys.